This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial conflict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and we're welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, Please, make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And have you seen our sponsors page? This is a great way to help Veritas while you advertise your product or service. And for the listeners to also know that it is our members and sponsors who make possible that we release one segment of every show for free. So please, visit our website and support our sponsors. And in addition to MMS, our USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, we have added 100% organic phytovitamins. If you are taking the big brand multivitamins, you are taking a chemical cocktail. Click on the phytovitamins link on our website and really feel the difference and to get in touch with us for member support media inquiries you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com the truth that aliens exist is only the beginning they are connected to our world to humanity and they are contacting the people of Earth today. They share warnings about a possible future 
in which our existence as a species is at risk. Why are the aliens' messages so important to all of us now? Why are the Hopi so important to the future of our planet? Do extraterrestrial alien contacts tie in with ancient cultures of indigenous people from around the world? For this and much more, Miriam Delicato is tonight's special guest, right now on Veritas. Since childhood, Miriam Delicato has been in touch with the other worlds and energies of life beyond our Earth's dimension. During a physical encounter in 1988 with tall blonde extraterrestrials, Miriam was given insight and information from these beings regarding who human beings really are and the purpose of life on planet Earth. With this deep understanding of the creation of life, she began contacting indigenous people around the world, understanding the sacred spiritual fabric of life that the indigenous still connect with through their ceremonies are holding the world in balance. The role is critical to the future of our planet as we transition to the future of this planet. Miriam is also the executive director of the Great Gathering of Humanity, which has been created with the understanding that we are all one people, the people of Earth. And to learn more about Miriam Delicato and her work, visit her websites at thegreatgathering.org and bluestarprophecy.com. And directly from Northern British Columbia, I'm privileged to have with me as my special guest, Miriam Delicato for the first time in Veritas. Hello, Miriam, and welcome. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm very pleased to, to be here on the show with you, Mel. Uh, I've admired the work that you've done for a long time, so it's, um, it's wonderful that I have this opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for your kind words, and it's been a long time that we've been preparing to, to have you on, and first of all, I appreciate that you have done this in a very short notice, so I look forward to our discussion tonight. But Miriam, beyond what I read on your bio, I know a lot of people know you, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about Miriam Delicato. What what happened with you throughout life that has put you where you are today in this path of informing, of teaching, of educating and enlightening people? Well, it's interesting, you know, thinking back to my childhood, my to my earliest years in life, and I think, you know, I you know, in my process of spiritual growth because we've all been going through a process of spiritual growth on the planet and individually. Looking back at childhood can be very, very beneficial, I think, for anyone. And when I do that, I look back to being a very young child who had a a difficult upbringing for many reasons. And even at the age of, you know, 11, 12 years old, would tell people, they would say, don't you, don't you hate your life? Don't you want a different life? And even at 12 years old, I would say to them, no, because every experience that I have is making me who I am today. And if I changed any of it, it would make me into someone else. And I love who I am. So I think that this process of, you know, growing into this this work that I'm doing currently has always been present in my life. And it's in a, it's in a, a state where it's constantly growing and shifting and changing. And I, I believe that as human beings, that is what we are here to do, is to shift and grow and have greater understanding. So how did this come about in my life? 
I've always had a nature to um, care for people. For example, when I was in school as a child, again, going back to that, I would always be friends with anyone who would be friends with me. And, you know, there's always the clicky group. They were the only ones that I could never relate to. Everyone else, um, especially the underdogs, were my best friends. And I would always, you know, stand up for them and defend them and be there for them and support them emotionally. Um, and I remember this very clearly about my, my youth. But as I got older, when I was 22 in 1988, having um, a very profound spiritual experience with beings of another world, um, tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed extraterrestrials, that was the catalyst and the final, that was, the, that, I wouldn't say the final, I shouldn't say that. It was the catalyst to throw me into this work. And so it's been quite a journey. I'm 47 years old um, as of today and uh, still growing into that, into that um, position of being a teacher, being someone who just shares insights in, from my life on a personal level to, to hopefully be able to share something of value for the next person that comes along. Can you share more of the experience you had in 1988 with the Toll Blonde Extraterrestrials? I've talked about this a lot in past interviews, and if anyone out there is listening and really wants a lot of detail, there's a, quite a few interviews that are out there on the internet that they could listen to. Um, but in a nutshell, what happened was I was just a 20, normal 22-year-old, you know, living life, and I had recently moved to the city um, a couple of years prior. And I made a journey back to home to my small, um, the small town I live in in northern British Columbia. I went and took a journey there. And on the return, we um, there was five of us in the car, four adults and a child, and we were followed by big balls of bright white light, which for the longest time we thought was a truck or something that was following us. But these lights would act erratically, like if there was no logic to it. Um, they would fall back. They would, you know, when, when we would um, pass another car or go through a town, they would all of a sudden seem to appear out of nowhere. This went on for hours. And after a period of time, we, um, you know, we saw these lights again, just all of a sudden out of nowhere appear and the next moment, the car was pulled over on the side of the road. Um, the other three adults in the car and the child looked like they were in a state of, um, you know, just, uh, uh, it, it looked like they were almost asleep and in the car. And I was the only one that seemed to be awake. And I saw a craft in front of me on in front of the car, and I saw the big balls of light at the back light coming from every direction, and then these beings came and took me by the hand. Small, I would not call them greys, um, just because of the generalized description of greys that's out there in the public, but they were small beings um, that were maybe about four, four and a half feet high, something around, yeah, maybe four, four and a half feet high, and uh, um, big black eyes that were not slanted but round they took me by the hand to another larger craft where 
in the doorway these tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed extraterrestrials were. And what was interesting is that my first thought upon laying eyes, you know, seeing them, my eyes looked up and I, the first thought that I had was, what are you doing here? Why won't you leave me alone? So that's where the journey really begins because the following three hours, a great deal of um, what we call in this field downloads and information took place. And there was, it was like accessing information on a spiritual level of possible futures um, that would be coming to the earth and looking at our past history as human beings. It was very, very, very interesting. And it took me years to process that. And I think in reality, if I had to be honest, I'm still processing it because it was so much. And that was 25 years ago. You know, when I hear these stories of extraterrestrial beings or interdimensional beings communicating with, with people like you, I sometimes wonder why it is that the, and we'll get into the disclosure with a big D, why it hasn't happened and why the power structure cannot allow that to happen. Why is it that these more advanced, and I have to assume, presume that these are more advanced than we are here, why haven't they made their presence known more publicly? That is actually a spiritual question. And it's a very profound question. Going back to this 25 years ago, you know, I'd like to take, take the listener back, especially those people who are older, and go back to 1988. Go, go back to 1980. Take their mind back to 1980, 1975, and ask themselves something. In your daily life during that time, did you think about extraterrestrials? Was that anywhere even close to being present in your mind or in your thoughts or in your daily life at that time? And was talk about spirituality at the forefront of people's um, thinking? Uh, was it in advertising? Was it in uh, their daily lives? Really think about that question that I'm asking the listeners to think about. Because back in 1988, after I'd had this experience, I remember very clearly telling, for example, my family and the closest people around me, I said, one day in the future, we will realize that every last aspect of life itself, in some form or another, relates to these extraterrestrials. Everything, whether we're talking about religion, God, um, the present, like life, the divine worlds, uh, physics, anything at all that one can think of, spirituality. And so... Everything has changed in the last 25 years, 30 years. Everything has changed in our thinking and our, our exposure to them. So when people talk to me about, about disclosure, I have to think and remember back to 25 years ago where I literally said these words. And this is very important for people to understand about disclosure from my perspective. When I went to someone begging them to help me because I was, you know, I'd had this extraordinary experience. And I said, I saw aliens, quote unquote. 
these people would look at me and they would scrunch their face and they would say, what is an alien? What are you talking about? Now, can you imagine today anyone even saying anything like that? They wouldn't no. even begin. Not, not a child, not an adult, not an elder. No one in society, almost anywhere on the earth, would have the ability to truthfully say, what is an alien? So again, what is disclosure and why has it not happened? When I'm asked this, I think of that. And I believe that we are in the process of disclosure. But then there's also another very deep step as to why they haven't exposed themselves. And we can get into that a little bit further down, further along in the conversation, Mel, because it's a very, very important question to ask. Let's stay with your experience for a moment. Who did you go for help at that time? Um, I, you know, I read, I think I read like maybe two, maximum three books on the subject. Um, one of them, of course, was, uh, Communion by Whitley Strieber. Sure. Um, one of them, oh my goodness, I can't remember her name, but I read a couple of books. I was going to contact these people, but decided not to. I, I just felt that it was, they were not really keying in to the information that I had received, for example. So I didn't think that they would under, understand or be able to give me any support. Um, I can't actually remember how I first found someone, um, the, the first individual that I found. But what I did was I, I went to psychics. <laughs> I remember going to very, very, um, this one psychic that was always sitting in a restaurant uh, in the area that I lived in, I went to her. She actually sent me to the Rosicrucian Order. I'm, I don't even know much about these people. I just know that it's another one of those secret societies. She sent me to the Rosicrucian Order. Um, when I went there to a meeting, everyone was wanting to pick my brain and my information so much, I just took off from there as fast as I could. Um, I went to, you know, I just sought out uh, spiritual bookstores and asked the people there. They pointed me in the direction of theologians, for example, the Theologian Society. I ended up in the midst of all of these really heavy societies, and they were the only ones at that time that appeared to be present um, that had any understanding of anything spiritual. But at that time, none of them had understanding of the concept of extraterrestrials and their um, and their relation to us. They all wanted to know what was being said. And then I found one person, and from there we started connecting. And I actually started a group. <laughs> I actually started a group, um, where and we had meetings once a week. Uh, it didn't last very long. It got really sticky, very ugly because some definitely some government type people entered into it, and it became it became a little scary. So we stopped. And then after that, how was the the event that connected you to the indigenous people of the world? Well, that actually took um, that actually took. My gosh, I, I'm never good with num. I'm never good with how exactly how many years. I believe it was like 14 or 17 years. In 1988, I had the experience. In 2003 was when this process started. Um, there was some very interesting information 
that was shared with me when I was with these beings in 88 that showed me the importance of the first people of Earth. Um, you know, I can use language. I I tend to get a little bit, you know, recoil a little bit in respect to first people of Earth, indigenous people, you know, but we know that we're talking about the, you know, the native people yeah. of Earth. So there is a very important aspect of who these people are in relation to our our current position in life and our past position in life. And this is what this is what the um these beings expressed to me was their relevance and importance in the past and in the future. And especially their irrelevance and importance for this exact moment on the planet today. And their, the, the point that they wanted to make, if I encapsulate all of it, is that <clears throat> these people um, have been maintaining and understanding the fabric of life itself and the delicate aspect of that del- of that life and how it's interconnected and it is this very specific knowledge that we as human beings are actually here um to understand and to experience to um grow and learn how to navigate through this this existence and so it's a very important knowledge that they hold, as well as their protection of this incredible fabric of life itself. It's very, it's, it's actually extremely complicated and one that I completely respect and understand why it is that, that um, certain indigenous groups or people all over the planet uh, hold in secret, in secret, this knowledge, because in order to fully comprehend it, one must live the life of 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 learning with them, and then possibly they still may not comprehend it. That's why, for example, in a lineage, in an ancient lineage, uh, the DNA line actually has something to do with whether or not they're going to be able to understand, comprehend, and use, utilize specific knowledge of the universe. It actually goes back to that, which takes the DNA issue back to the spirituality, back to the disclosure, back, back, back. It's it's all intertwined. On this radio program, Miriam, we're always looking for the answers to the primordial questions, and you probably know that. Who are we? Where do we come from? What's our purpose here? Where are we going? And when I was younger, if you told me, why don't you ask that question to a native elder? I had been programmed, and many of the people who are listening to us probably had been programmed by Western society, that these people were, you know, backward thinking, their feathers and their regalias and their powwows, they're just in their own world. But I know better now. I know better now because I've spoken to some of them. I've had the privilege to to speak to some of them, even in your presence. And if you told me right now, Mel, who do you think is going to give you the answer? Is it going to be academia? Is it going to be somebody with a doctorate degree? Or is it going to be a native person from this world? 
And honestly, I am certain that I would choose the latter. Mm-hmm. What do you say about this? I would absolutely agree with you. I would absolutely agree with you. Um, I have had a very unique, uh, well, I'd like to think I have had a unique experience, um, unique to myself, uh, for sh- that's for sure. But I have had a very unique um, opportunities that have presented themselves over the years. Um, being very um, fortunate to be able to sit with certain individuals and certain groups of people to have conversation about, let's say, spiritual matters, and only learning the very surface of it, the very surface of it, because I never claim to have these inner, inner, inner workings of any indigenous group, for example, Um, but only having the surface of it and being able to look into that world, what I can say as the person experiencing this is that they have knowledge that far surpasses any um, other uh, thread of knowledge on this planet. And over the years, of course, we are, we are seeing more and more of this confirmation of the level of understanding that they have in respect to the universe itself and the physics of life and the understanding and perceptions of life. How science has moved into a phase now where very slowly and cautiously they are bringing forward information to the public that confirms much of what these indigenous groups have said for centuries. And their words may be different, but the concept and idea is exactly the same. And we have a responsibility, in my view, we have a responsibility as a global society to protect the knowledge that holds us intact on the planet and allows us to even exist on the planet. And that is with the um, indigenous people who are still maintaining those ancient ways of life, those ancient ceremonies. To touch on the point that you brought up about the individuals who are, um, you know, the you know how we've been, we've had this propaganda brought to us almost where you know don't talk to an indigenous person, they're an idiot, they're this, they have you know feathers in their hair, they're crazy, you know all the all of this soulless what, savages. That, soulless savages. What I find most interesting is the concept and and the the actual history, the actual physical history that can be researched by any living, breathing person on earth of how all of these tribes were colonized and the process that took place to colonization and how that took place was identical. it was, you know, almost exacting and identical anywhere on earth. Take away their sacred objects, cut their hair, take away their language, um, not allow them to continue their their ceremonies, and then disgrace them in any way possible. And yet, at the same time, I'm going to reiterate that their sacred objects and their language and everything else was learned first and then taken from them. So where's the real power? What has happened here? People talk about, 
they can, you know, again, going into this, I do not like to talk about conspiracy theories to, you know, the deep levels because I find that people in this community, as far as the conspiracy community, can be quite um, vague. Uh, there's a lot of disinformation that's out there and a lot of infighting. So in this particular arena, from my personal perspective, it's been very interesting to understand how, you know, they have the ability to create rain. They have the ability to stop rain. They have the ability to, you know, change the environment around them and work, not to change it, but to work with it, I think would be a better way of putting it, to literally work with the environment around them. And there is, there is, as long as we don't listen to those who have true knowledge, then we can still be given whatever information someone chooses to give to us. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And you said something along the words of, of your last statement that I've been looking into in the past few years, and it's about the hair. As you say, you know, cutting their hair. I read an article recently, and the title is The Truth About Hair and Why, they call it Indians, Would Keep Their Hair hair Long. And somebody, I have this article here, and I'd like to share it with, it with the audience too, but in essence, somebody found some decommissioned information from the United States government. And apparently, and I don't mean to deviate from, from the topic at hand, but I, I, I think you'll see the connection. During the Vietnam War, the United States government scouted certain individuals, uh, let's call them undercover experts, uh, that went throughout the, the American Indian reservations looking for scouts, for tough young men trained to move stealthily through rough terrain. They were especially looking for men with outstanding, almost supernatural tracking abilities. And the common denominator? They had long hair. Almost like a cat has the whiskers. Apparently, hair does more than being fashion. What do you know about this? I, I always have a bit of hesitation in getting into any detail about this, these kind of concepts that belong to um, the indigenous people because I am not one of them. But there is there is relevance to every aspect of who and what they are. And when, when we look at the indigenous people all over the planet, this is one of the common factors that we see. Um, not cutting their hair is about, they do call it the antenna um, mm -hmm. and, and the string that comes out from, from the, the inner thought, um, the inner being. And there are there have been many documented uh, stories where those individuals that you you just you just brought up um, who were were brought on to be able to track and do all of these things when they cut their hair they couldn't do it so again we are looking at something I I would answer it this way by saying there are many things that that society does not understand. There are many aspects to life that we have not even begun to touch upon to be able to understand the true essence of life, the spiritual aspect of it, 
the physical aspect of it, the scientific aspect of it, and how it interrelates to a more cosmic community that we live in. Every single thing, for example, you know, I have been, I've been, I've been had the privilege um, of spending time with Hopi. Um, these people I honor and and I give so much honor and respect to. And I've been able over the years to have a very solid understanding, not of a not of a ceremony. You know, oh, here you take a you take a handful of this and you throw it into the fire. And no, 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 nothing like this. Because in essence, if you don't understand the true fabric of a people, then no matter what ceremony you do with them, it will not have power and strength. And with Hopi, what I've learned is that they have a very uh, clear thinking, um, a very clear thought, and a very simple way of looking at the world. And I have a, I have realized over the years that it is the same philosophies and understandings that I have lived with my whole life. What they're able to do is bring it into even more clarity with their words, with their actions, and with their understanding that they've shared with me over the years. And with the with the idea that um, everything is interconnected, uh, one has to view every single thing that one does in that interconnectedness. And that is a basis... So we, if we're talking about cutting hair, we have to talk about how does that interconnect with the rest of the universe. Indeed. And looking at this article, they they showed some of the tests that were performed with these uh, new soldiers. And for example, uh, a man uh, with long hair was sleeping, and all of a sudden it senses the approach and somehow intuits that the enemy will perform a physical attack. And then he follows his sixth sense and, and stays still and so on. And the same man, after having passed all these tests, then received a military haircut and consistently failed all the tests one after the other. So to me, this almost shows that hair might be or is an extension of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about some other things that happen to certain cultures? Take circumcision as an example. I always wonder what the real reason for circumcision is. Is it truly because it's it's a uh, it's sanitary, it keeps you clean, or if it's something else? If we're born to have long hair, if we're born to have every part of our bodies, why is it that Western medicine decides that, no, that's, that's not true. We need to remove your tonsils. We need to remove your appendix. We need to remove part of your foreskin. Why? I agree. There is a lot of knowledge. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are out there that have, that have tried to study uh, anthropology, uh, anthropology, for example. Anthropology, looking at a, a, quote, indigenous community, in my view, often misses the mark altogether. And what they do is they, they take information, they take one small piece of information, they interpret it in a completely incorrupt, incorrect format because they're not able to see the, the larger interconnected um, picture. Now, getting into this, I'm going to wrap this together, okay? 
okay. with ufology, with a lot of different things here, because now we're getting into the heart of, of the subject. Now, we're only 30 minutes into this conversation, Mel. This is getting interesting fast. Good. Um, when we talk about the, um, when we're talking and looking at an indigenous community, there are so many people that are stepping forward, making, making these uh, you know, they're writing books, for example, they're expressing um, uh, their ideas. And I have to say this, I'm going to say this, make this very clear. They are not writing a book about what it is that they know of an indigenous community. For example, the Mayans. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of books that have been, people have written about it. But in reality, in my view, in my personal journey and view of the of having these relationships with different peoples around the world is that the concept of of you know for example 2012 was so missed by these people that have um reinterpreted not even interpreted what these indigenous said but reinterpreted that it actually caused um our our society global society in the consciousness to lower itself not to rise because the interpretation of knowledge must come from a place of knowledge itself one has to have a base understanding of the spiritual world of the interconnected world physical world all of it in order to interpret properly what it is that they are looking at or hearing if you do not have that base knowledge you cannot walk into a community of any kind whether it's indigenous or scientific and criticize explain or interpret the data that is in front of you this is where we are right now. And I advocate for indigenous people all over the world that their knowledge and information is being um, taken from them, reinterpreted from the perspective of lack of knowledge and understanding of the person who has interacted with them. And it's a very, very critical aspect of um, an important aspect of our life today as a global community, to have more knowledge come fo come forward to us in this disclosure project, in this disclosure, not project, but in this disclosure process, sorry. Um, and we have a responsibility as a spiritual community to literally question um, any and all gurus, teachers, um, spiritual leaders to question within ourselves what it is that we are hearing and whether it is relevant to our spiritual process. And this interrelates very deeply to this information that was given to me in 1988 where I was saying to people, you know, 25 years ago, I literally said to them, I said, one day, everything in life, people will realize, is interconnected some way to these beings that I encountered. And it is the same for the indigenous communities. So, why is it that they're being, I think, controlled as much as they are? It's because they have some of the most, in my view, some of the most powerful, relevant 
knowledge on the planet and always have and, in my view, always will. As long as they have been able to maintain that um, that knowledge itself. I see two parallels, and I want to get your take on this. Since 1994-95, with the advent of the internet, we could say that human beings are now interconnected via technology. You and I are speaking today, and you know tonight we could air this show, and people around across the globe can listen to it. At the same time, there's disinformation, there's misinformation. It's a landmine. It's a minefield out there. Right. But you go back thousands of years ago, and you take the Egyptians, Egyptians as an example, and you take the natives in Mesoamerica, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayans, and we see some of the similarities you know, the pyramids and some other work that they had. And supposedly, it was Columbus who discovered America. I always say that he only opened the routes for Europe. But according to Western history or, or new history, they were not in touch with one another. How is it then that the knowledge was so similar? How were they able to connect with each other? That's the big question, isn't it, Mel? Yes. <laughs> that is the very big question. Okay. Um, I've had an opportunity, you know, I've had the opportunity to speak to, you know, a few tribes of people. And again, I want to reiterate that I, I am not privileged to be, I'm not being told secrets upon secrets of these people. Um, and even if I was, it would, I would never even attempt to talk about those details um, because it would be irrelevant to someone. I've said this for years also, and people get very upset with me. They say, why don't you just tell us? What's your problem? You're, you're hiding something. It's like, no. In, eight, in the 1800s, if I talked about the engine of a car, what relevance would it have to someone if they had no concept of what it is that we were talking that I was trying to explain. When when I'm talking about, you know, I, can't, I, I want to be able to share much more, but it, it just would not make sense. It's not that it's scientific. It's that it's spiritual understanding. And part of that issue is that I don't have the language to be able to express what it is that I know. That's part of it. Other Another aspect is, is that I don't, I you know, I value and trust that the Indigenous people hold certain things as being private for a reason, and I understand why completely, because if this little piece of knowledge comes out into the, out into the world, we've already seen it. Look what happened with the Mayans in 2012. Oh, we're all going to die. You know, I mean, it gets taken and used in a negative format, and that's what we're talking about. Um who these people are going back into the history of what these, you know, quote, extraterrestrials, ETs, told me is that they explained that they came from the last world. What does that mean? Okay. What that means is that at one time we thrived upon the earth. We thrived with knowledge of the universe, the sciences, the, um, the aspects of life that we seek so much in our hearts and minds today. People, what, what we're talking about is even with energy, we had all of the scientific knowledge on the planet at one point. And when this was happening, 
Today, we've called that um, Atlantis and Lemuria and these ancient cultures that these mystical ancient cultures from the past. Yes, in 1988, these extraterrestrials told me that these um, that this time did exist. Did they call it Atlantis and Lemuria? No, but they showed me those worlds through a visual and through um, a, a downloading of information about it. So yes, in my mind, they did exist. They said uh, that these beings told me that during this specific time period, there were people all over the earth that were existing in a way that was uh, that was in balance with the natural world. And when we say the natural world, we're talking about the seen and the unseen, the divine worlds, the other existences, everything that exists is what we're saying. These groups of people were very much intact and in harmony with life itself. And so they were removed from the planet. And then because of the destructive nature of the beings that were living here at that time, um, and they were going, they were at the point where if they were to have continued, Mel, they would have destroyed life itself, the very fabric of life itself with their technologies and their mutations and their genetically modifying and, and everything. They would have destroyed and put a ripple into it, into time and life itself. So something had to be done about this. So those that were living in harmony and peacefully were removed from the planet and then cataclysms took place that removed the rest of the people that were here. That's right. That's what happened. And then those individuals and those groups that were, were taken and removed off the planet spent a certain period of time with these beings under the earth in, in on craft outside of, of the earth itself and in different um and under the water actually under the oceans this is what was told to me they were taught even further in their understanding of knowledge of life itself and then replaced and put back onto the planet that's who they are they're not even from this world they're from the last world anyone that spends any time with indigenous people with the strong dna the bloodlines of these people can clearly and automatically recognize that there is something different about them. And I would ascertain that this difference is that they are not even from this reality. They are from the last reality that we lived in. And I want to explore I want to explore more of the this last reality, last world. You know, some people talk about how uh, you met Dr. Leo Sprinkle at the event that you and I attended, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes. And during our interview, he said something that really shook me. He said that analysis has been performed on people to, to know what their daily cycle is time-wise. In other words, planet Earth, 20, 24 hours. But humans have a time cycle, a daily time cycle, I believe is 24 hours and 36 minutes, which is the exact time of one day rotation of planet Mars. Do you think that we may have come from Mars? I am not able to give any insight into that. Um, I, I, I have nothing to offer to you. Um, you know, 
do I know that we came from other other realities? Yes. Do I know that we came from other existences, other planetary um, existences? Yes. That I was told directly. Did we come from quote-unquote Mars? That I don't know. I was never given any, any direct information on that, and so I'm not qualified to answer that question. That's fine, and I respect the fact that you admit that you don't know the answer. But you're mentioning the Atlantic Ocean, for example, Atlantis. I always wonder who, who named the Atlantic Ocean the Atlantic Ocean, and for what reason. And I, I, I found out that it was the Greeks, the Sea of Atlas, and that's why they call it that way. And it was uh, Magellan who gets the credit for naming the Pacific Ocean or Mar Pacifico because of its stillness. But again, going back to the Atlantic Ocean, why would they call it that? Is oh. it because at one point Atlantis existed in the Atlantic, the Atlantic Ocean? Here's something that will take your mind a little further than that, even further than that. Talking about the indigenous people, for example. Okay. Talking about the fabric of life itself, which is really the, all our conversations, all your interviews have to, we're all talking about the same thing. We're talking about life, what it is, like you said, what it is, what are we doing here? Where are we going? Who are we? Why are we even here? We're talking about life. Something that I have known for, you know, for a very long time is that the language that we use is very relevant in the world today. For example, I'm going to say a word to you. I'm going to say, hello, Mel. How are you? Hello, Mel. What am I saying to you? Think about this for a moment. I'm saying hell. And the concept and idea of hell on its subconscious level it takes us somewhere else that's not positive as a very simple example of something that's negative. Okay? In the indigenous communities, again, asking the listener to ask themselves this question, why is it that one of the most important aspects of indigenous people that was tried to be wiped out was their language? What was that about? Why was it so important to destroy the language? Because the language has energy. And it has life itself. And so what happens is when we speak, you know, when, when why, do, why is it? Again, I'm going to ask a lot of questions and get the listener to answer some of this themselves. Why is it that in ancient cultures they sing? Why is it that in religion you sing? Why is it that you have mantras, whether they're religious or spiritual? Why is it that we must verbalize certain words or sounds in spiritual communities to have enlightenment? What is this? We're talking about language and the relevance of it and going back to the, to the indigenous. Because it's all vibration. Right. There is a vibration to it. But on top of that, um, I was exposed uh, on the on the greatest surface one can imagine, it was not in deep deep um, understanding. I, I cannot speak on this in any in any uh, in any depth. I can only share a little tiny glimpse of insight. Okay, the Dogon of 
Africa claim to be some of the most some of the original people of this planet Earth. They claim that they had the original language of humanity. Now, the most fascinating um, and this is, is what they call the Madhu language, the Madhu language. It's the hieroglyphic, original hieroglyphic language. Now, I'm going to ask the listener again, and yourself, and even for myself, I think about this. The gods themselves had names, the pharaohs, okay? They had names. And what did their names mean? Truly mean, not from the uh, not from the um, anthropolo- um, anthropological viewpoint, but what was the real meaning of their names and who they were? Even as even be, even understanding that the truest knowledge and the most clear knowledge of the ancient cultures is not going to come from anthropology, we can still get a tiny glimpse of understanding through their work, and which can still benefit humanity. By learning only the names of a few gods, a few of the pharaohs, only a few of them, and if they had four syllables in that name, and then understanding who and what that pharaoh was, I then went to another ancient tribal people from another country, uh, and it was not on mainland, um, you know, it wasn't the Hopi, by the way. I always like to say that because people automatically assume that. It was not the Hopi, it was someone else. And I saw that they were talking about two of their, quote, gods from this other ancient tribe. When I saw the names, I saw one syllable that was placed very predominantly within the name of that god of this other tribe. They were from Hawaii. And what I saw very quickly was that that god was going to be the sun, the sun god for them. And how did I recognize that so quickly? Because I recognized it from the Madhu language. So what I'm saying is that, you know, just yesterday someone sent me some information from two different tribes with the name, with a very specific word that expressed a concept of life, okay? One word that expresses the concept of life itself. Looking at them and putting them side to side, there is great similarity in the sound that they both express, and they're both expressing the same concept of life itself. So, what is it, who we are, why we're here, what we're doing here, is interrelated into an ancient history of which we are only touching the surface on now. And this ancient history comes from the, quote, indigenous people. And it is this culture, it is these cultures, it is these people, it is their, their, their intellectual property of knowledge, let's say, that we have to protect at all costs, because when we lose it, it's going to be gone, and we will be like children, and we will end up, we will not be able to further ourselves spiritually, scientifically, or otherwise, because a lot of this knowledge that we have is coming from these ancient cultures. 
And so the language that we use is very important. And people right now in, in the, the alternative community love to attack each other for every single last word that we use. And we really need to be careful of that also, because even our own language is being turned on us and used on us to um, make it so that we are fighting amongst each other. It is it is a concept that the extraterrestrials, these beings I saw in 88, had begun to really gave me, they gave me the foundation of this understanding of, of, of language and sound by sharing with me the basic, very, very basic understanding of how sound and vibration created life itself and how that works and how it can destroy and how it can how it can repair. So in 88, they told me about light therapies. They told me about sound therapies. And so for, tw- you know, for the longest time, I was like, yeah, one day we're going to heal with light. I said to people 25 years ago, they're like, what are you talking about? Of course, now we have blue light, red light, LED lights, these lights, and they all are healing. Again, I don't say this about my own self. I'm trying to make a point that there is still a great deal of more information that is going to come forward in technologies, in understanding of sound, language, the structure of life itself, and how it relates to the interdimensional beings, the, quote, extraterrestrials, aliens, how it relates to our systems that we currently have on the planet, whether they be, um, whether they are um, financial, governmental, spiritual, um, or religious, for example, any one of these, and how it interrelates to what it is that, and the structures that we've built, how that interrelates to the DNA structures of us as human beings, and how we need to move forward. So we're getting into very large concepts, Mel, that require the listener or reader or person that is studying to take time to reflect and try to really, truly understand the basics before they, tr- before they attempt to look at a larger concept of which, if there's not the base understanding, it, they simply cannot grasp it. And this is what I see in our community right now. This is what I've seen in the community for tr- you know this whole time of building for 25 years, is that sometimes some of these big, some of these people that are out writing books even, for example, and have made huge names for themselves around the world, don't actually have the basics down. And it's a concern. It's a concern for us as a whole. Well, the division that we see around the world, take language, as you say, I think language is definitely a limiting factor. And it's also a tool to keep us divided. Here in the United States, for example, we hardly see people who want to speak another language. It's almost as if it's ingrained to just speak English. And the way I see it from the outside is, what is it? You don't want to learn another culture? I was mentioning this to another researcher the other day, that if I was in charge in academia, I would make traveling at least to one different culture a requirement for any degree, because that expands your horizons so much. But as you're saying, you know, many years ago, you discussed light therapy. Take the Dogon as another example, and, as, and thanks to you, I was able to interview some members of the, of the tribe uh, a year or two ago. 
But they were saying that a second Sirius star existed. We always talked about Sirius A and B. Well, for hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years, they talked about the second star. Nobody believed them because, again, they're soulless savages. But in 1862, then an astronomer finally discovered, or can I say rediscovered, a second Sirius star. And they had to rename Sirius Sirius A, and then they discovered Sirius B. It's always the same. The question is, the big question, Miriam, how can an isolated tribe, a people with no written history, have scientific information concerning stars light years away that astronomers are just confirming today? That's the beautiful question, isn't it? That is the beautiful question. And that is one of the primary reasons why any tribe that you go to, any guru that you go to, will tell you one thing. You need to go deep within yourself. Because these answers that we all are seeking are not coming from the exterior. The answers are all within every single human being that exists. And this is a key. Because when we look deep, deep, deep inside, we will find the answers to all of these questions. It is profound, the knowledge. It is a deeply profound knowledge that many of these people around the world hold. And I believe that there are there are there are individuals that are teaching and sharing that are highly that I highly respect and honor. There are many of them who are doing the work of slowly um, elevating the consciousness of this planet, and many of the people are even in this community. But there's another side to this, and it's a very dark side, and it's a very ugly side, and it's a side that's causing people to attack each other, to um, to really confuse subject matters, and this takes us back down to a very low level of conceptual understanding of life and what we're doing here and the purpose of of our sharing. It is not about pointing fingers to say this person's right, this person's wrong, um, because there's a lot of people that are out there doing this, especially in this community. It is about how can we support each other to bring this um, elevated knowledge forward in a way that is rationally calm and positive for all people. When we start attacking each other on very specific information, for example, which is constantly happening in the world today, whether it's in our uh, alternative community or otherwise, we only build confusion within our souls and ourselves. I think that we are coming up to a break, if I'm not mistaken, Mel. And one of the things that I'd like to talk about into the next hour is about how Hopi views the world as a microcosm to the macrocosm of who we are. And building on that, how this, you know, in my personal journey, this related, this relates to my daily life and how it's helped me to grow, how it's really helped me to grow as a person. Definitely. We'll take a break in a, in a, in a minute. But what you're saying is so true. The answers are within, but we are trained, we are taught by by educational institutions, by religion, that the answers always lie with somebody else, exterior. And 
I cannot even remember how many times I was told, Mel, use your logic, not your instinct. And when I see the animals using their instinct, and when I say animals, I'm, I'm even speaking about humans. Let's take the, the tsunami in, Suma, in Sumatra in 2004, I believe it was. The, I always mention this during many shows, that the, this specific tribe was the only one that I believe it was 24 or 48 hours climbed a mountain because I knew something was coming. And only one person of the tribe died because it was a disabled person that could not ask for help. But animals went up the mountain and this tribe went up the mountain. They were the only ones who survived. Obviously, they have an ability, an innate ability that is still on that we have switched off because we are told all the time that we should not follow our instincts. We should follow the logic that we learned. Because logic, sometimes it's learned. And I want to get your take on that when we come back. Uh, Miriam, tell us once again how to get in touch with your work, your websites. Um, I I can be reached at uh, bluestarprophecy.com. And uh, I am also the executive director of thegreatgathering.org, which, of course, has been a very massive project that we've been working on for years. Um, we are very close to completion and launch, but again, uh, we have been working very hard with a small team of people. Very proud of that. So either one of my websites you can reach me through. And I look forward to always having feedback from people and being involved in a global community. So I look forward to how uh, we can all work together to bring about a greater change. So please do get in touch. Absolutely. And one last thing before we leave, it's a kind of a funny comment. I just returned from vacation with the family and we were at the Miami Beach. It was really hot and we decided to just go to a hotel lobby to cool off a little bit. All of a sudden, I see all these hotel employees and there are probably about seven or eight of them surrounding the, the reception area and talking amongst themselves. And all I could hear was, look at that, the former Canadian ministry, Minister of Defense is saying that there's extraterrestrial life and they were just so happy and talking amongst themselves and I was ready to go and say Paul Hellier is a friend I've interviewed him, he's my card but my wife just said not in a million years, let's get out of here now, but I thought that was funny that the mainstream, people were there talking about that, hotel employees so the citizen hearing and the gathering that you and I attended, I want to talk about that when we come back. A lot more to discuss here with Miriam Delicato, our special guest. This is Mel Fabregas. You're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the members section. Enjoy.
This is Paul Levy, and you're listening to Veritas.